Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at Political Beats. You can also find us on Facebook if you search for Political Beats. We ask you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com. Click in the corner on podcast. You'll find all the fine NR podcasts, including ours. Listen, enjoy, share, and leave reviews so others could help find or to help others find the program. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, is Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Well, I'm a little jammed for time. I got to do some quick listening for the big podcasting. Um, my head is spinning, and I really can't quite open my eyes. I don't know about you, Scott. I've been I've been podcasting for too long, and I don't want to fail. But at least I have a new laptop and a bright future in sales. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, more to come. Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. And our guest for today's episode is the editor of Bearing Arms, the host of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, and the 40 Acres and a Fool podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at Cam Edwards, which is appropriate because his name is Cam Edwards. Cam, thanks for joining us on Political Beats. Ah, thank you so much, guys. Looking forward to this one. And this is uh, one that, I mean, uh, I've always wanted to do this episode not under these circumstances. Um, we introduce uh, 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 Jeff to Fountains of Wayne for this episode. And, uh, of course, we do it uh, just, just a few days after the death of uh, the co-founder, uh, bassist, drummer on the first um, uh, first album and, and songwriter for Fountains of Wayne, Adam Schlesinger, uh, of complications from the COVID-19 virus. This is not the circumstances that we wanted to do the show, but I'm happy we are doing the show and that we finally, after three years, I have finally convinced uh, Jeff to listen to the music of Fountains of Wayne. So we'll hear from Jeff in a moment. First, we head back to Cam Edwards and uh, get you to introduce yourself to the audience. Cam, what's your beat job in the world of politics? Sure. So I focus on Second Amendment news and information. I uh, have been the editor of BearingArms.com since last July. Before that, I was uh, the host of Cam and Company at NRA TV from about 2004 to uh, 2019. Uh, before that, was in uh, local radio in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Started out as a beat reporter. Uh, moved into an investigative uh, a job and then became a, a talk show host when I realized that was so much easier than actually, uh, you know, reporting, just <laughs> being able to give my opinion. Uh, and ever since then, I, I've been sort of blending the two uh, between original reporting and commentary. Uh, and so while my focus is, is you know, daily on the right to keep and bear arms, um, I'm, I'm obviously very interested in, in you know, a lot of other um, ancillary issues, the, the you know, just the, the individual freedom that we have in this country and how to hang on to it. It is so much easier just to talk about things that other people have done as a talk show host. I mean, that's that's the beauty of that job, I think. Oh, it's fantastic. You don't have to go to school board meetings <laughs> or, you know, hang out. In, Those are the uh, worst. Courthouses for hours and hours. No, it's, it's great. You just get to read what other people have done and then say, let me tell you what I think about this. I would attend 10 city council meetings if someone else would attend one school board meeting. <laughs> school board meetings are the worst. Uh, and our, our, our band for today's episode and our artist for today's episode, as I previously mentioned, Adam Schlesinger. We'll talk about some of his side work and other projects later in the episode, but the main focus of this episode will be on what was the main focus of his career, at least uh, commercially, and the way most people have been introduced to Adam Schlesinger 
if not for maybe that movie thing he did, but we'll talk later. Uh, and that is the band Fountains of Wayne, an interesting name for an interesting band. And Cam, we head back to you to tell us why you love Fountains of Wayne, how you got into them, and why other people should care about this music. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I got into Fountains of Wayne really early. I remember when Radiation Vibe came out, their first single in uh, 1994. I was living in Oklahoma at the time. Uh, but I, I had these references because as a kid, I lived in Ridgewood, New Jersey for a couple of years. So ah. I, I, I knew Wayne, New Jersey, right? I, I, I got some of these references that they were making to the Tri-Cities area. Uh, and at the time that the first album came out, uh, my best friend and I were in a band. We, you know, fully believed that we were going to be rock stars in the next couple of years. And so there was there was really something compelling about just these two guys, uh, Adam and Chris, that were making such incredible music. Um, by the time Utopia Parkway, their second album came out, I had gotten married. The, uh, the I, I moved into radio. I kind of put my dreams of rock stardom aside and I actually missed that album completely. I just, I didn't even hear about it. So like most people, you know, the next time I thought about Fountains of Wayne was when Stacy's mom came out. Uh, and that's when I went back, I revisited Utopia Parkway. And, and that was the moment that I was hooked. I mean, they just have become a, a huge soundtrack to my life ever since. Um, Red Dragon Tattoo. I used to sing that as a lullaby <laughs> to my twins uh, when they were little because they got so sick and tired of the standard lullaby. So I'm like racking my brain trying to think of songs that I like and can sing to. So my uh, my youngest daughter can still to this day, uh, uh, you know, sing uh, Fountains of Wayne, but she sings it a lot slower than, uh, than <laughs> what it is on the album. Basil Hayden Bourbon was through a Red Dragon tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, their song New Routine, uh, which is on uh, Traffic and Weather, that was that that w- that resonated with me so much. We were living in Northern Virginia when that album came out, and my wife and I had been talking about moving out of the D.C. area, trying to find you know some place, a small town, something that just wasn't part of the the, the, the D.C. suburban sprawl. That was, you know, on repeat as we're driving around the state of Virginia. Ultimately, we, we ended up 
about three hours south of D.C. on a small farm. But, you know, we would listen to these albums as we were driving around the countryside. And uh, and even today, like if I have to take a road trip up to D.C., uh, Welcome Interstate Managers is, is you know, one of my go to albums. In fact, I cannot take a road trip without listening and singing along to uh, Little Red Light. That's my my go to driving <laughs> anthem, uh, even to this day. So, you know, there's there's nothing too deep about Fountains of Wayne there. They weren't a band that make you think a lot, but there's something special about this band. And the music to me still resonates, you know, 25 years after their first album was released. So I guess what I have to do now here is explain why I have never heard of this band until last <laughs> week. Which is not entirely true, by the way. I had heard of Fountains of Wayne. Everybody knew about Stacy's mom, obviously. You, you, even me living – I was the boy in the plastic bubble during the late 90s and the early 2000s when it came to music. I didn't listen to radio. I didn't watch MTV. All I did was explore classic rock and post-punk and prog rock and things like that. Um, so I was very much cut off from whatever was hip and trendy, you know, unless it was Radiohead, basically. <clears throat> um but I had heard of the name of Fountains of Wayne, and I had to say, like, when I was younger, I don't know, it, it sounded like a dirty joke to me. Like, you know, like the spurting fountains of a guy named Wayne. I was like, well, who wants to listen to this? This is like the like the butthole surfers or something like that. <laughs> I'm very serious. When, when you have no context, no music to actually pin to the name, and I had no idea it was actually like named after a store that sold like water fountains, like you know, drinking fountains for uh, bird baths and things like that in Wayne, New Jersey. I had no idea that was what it was about, but it certainly didn't incentivize me to want to go listen to the band. Um, and you know, Stacy's mom came out. Everyone loved watching. Who was it? Was it Elle McPherson who was in that? Rachel, Rachel Hunter. Hunter. Rachel, Rachel Hunter. Hunter. Okay. Oh gosh, she was very attractive in that film, in that in that video, and the song was obviously pretty clever power pop. But again, just not in my time. Like it, it didn't hit me at that right time zone. It, it was never something that seemed to be relevant to me. Uh, and I guess I'm feeling really stupid about that right now because I went back and I finally listened to this band. It doesn't have a very large discography. There are only five actual albums, plus there's an outtake CD. Uh, or, or B-sides and outtakes, uh, which is actually pretty good. And almost all of these albums are shockingly consistent. And, you know, the irony of this band is that I actually think that they're the band that I had always hoped Big Star would be. When people always used to describe Big Star and say, oh, this is this great unheard power pop, power rock, you know, 60s, 70s band that never made it, and you're going to love their stuff. And, and I got all of their material, and I do like Big Star. I mean, nobody's going to, you know, say a bad thing about Alex Chilton or anything like that, but uh, I never loved them the way I was supposed to. I think those albums are all flawed. And then I listened to these albums, specifically the, those first four records, um, and I'm just stunned. You know, I know what Cam is saying, like, you know, this is not like, this is not deep music in the sense that it's not like Tom York singing about modern anime and technological <laughs> ennui and, you know, the big heavy themes and all of that life and death. Uh, it's clever lyrics. Uh, that are they're, they're jokey and they're funny, uh, but they're not completely flippant and you know insouciant. They actually do have real meanings. Sometimes they can actually be pretty powerful vignettes and character sketches. Uh, I, I really like the lyrics. I don't find them to be nearly as jokey as some people complain mm. about them. I also think that, that they're really good at 
depicting a certain time and place. Like I didn't live in northern Jersey or in the tri-state area, but I recognize all those references. And I mean, it's so clear that this is a, this is a, a band that was writing songs, particularly on those first three records, that were situated in like North Jersey, Long Island, New York City, maybe a couple references to Boston every now and then. I think they went to they went the you know, Collingwood and uh, Schlesinger met in uh, Massachusetts in college. It was Williams, I think, they went to. Um, so I do like that time and place aspect to their music. It's very much like rooted in a certain region of the country in a way that, like, you know, you think of old 97s and you think of Texas or something like that. Well, I've been saving for a custom appreciate the way that comes across with them and i really also think that there is just a place in this world for very clever well executed power pop that will make you happy which is exactly what these albums have been doing for me over the last several days i find there to be shockingly few poor songs on any of their records i find so little to complain about i i i end up also seeing influences that I feel like they've had on other bands that I really did like uh, for a long time. Like I can't hear summer teeth by Wilco ever again without thinking that they were listening to that first fountains of Wayne album and being influenced by it and taking some of that pop sheen and that pop sound and sort of, you know, melding it to Jeff Tweedy's much more gloomy lyrics, more introspective lyrics. sounds and the chordal constructions man oh i hear i hear like a bunch of things that are very similar and i don't think it would be surprised anybody in the slightest if tweedy had been listening to them so i i think of this band sort of in the tradition of big star or maybe xtc um a band that was you know a, a very quirky and funny lots of great pop songs but was never quite 
you know, at the right place at the right time to score, you know, the big hits that they deserved, except for like one random freak sensation, which, you know, <laughs> you know, hardcore XTC fans hate dear God. You know, and, and I know like all the fountains of Wayne fans I've talked to were saying, well, Stacy's mom isn't even the fifth best song on that album. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. And so like the people who really love this band are kind of upset. That that's the only song that they are known for. Uh, but that's also a great song. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this band. Fountains of Wayne has long been one of my favorite bands, which is why I've been trying to get Jeff to do the show for three years. Um, but I, I, I had heard Radiation Vibe, and, and even more than Radiation Vibe for some reason, Sink to the Bottom from the first album. I want to sink to the bottom with you. I want to sink to the bottom with you. Just wanna sink to the bottom with you. Cars on the highway, planes in the air. Everyone else is going somewhere, but I'm going nowhere. Get in there soon. I might as well just sink down with you. When I was really introduced to them was working at my college radio station. Um, all We got dozens. It doesn't happen these days anymore, of course. We had dozens of CDs every day from labels and artists asking us to play their music. And so there was a, there, there was a group of us who would take you know, a stack home and, you know, review them essentially say, this is terrible. This is, uh, this is great. Uh, these are the tracks we might want to play. I still remember I got, uh, I had uh, I had Kid Rock's album and Eminem's album, the one the Devil Without a Cause and Eminem's Breakthrough, and I, I panned both of them because it just wasn't my kind of music. I was wrong from the commercial aspect, but I think right you know from the from the station's aspect. Um, but anyway, one of these stacks in one of these stacks was included Utopia Parkway, the second album, and I love that from start to finish from the first time I put it in the CD player, and from, from that point on, have been a huge, huge Fountains of Wayne fan. Uh, Cam mentioned driving around Virginia to uh, uh, to uh, traffic and weather, and I did the same with Welcome Interstate Managers when it was released in '03. Uh, I was just driving a ton. I was working downtown Chicago. I had reasons to be more toward, uh, uh, like, the Calvin, in Illinois. I was, you know, stuck in traffic jams. I was on the train for two hours each day. So I just played the living crap out of Welcome Interstate Managers. And so much of that, uh, you know, I, I, that album is kind of a, as I mentioned in a piece I wrote for The Federalist, it's kind of a semi-song cycle about, like, first jobs and entering the, the world of, of work and having a nine-to-five. And uh, I, I love my job, but I was still getting accustomed to that, to that sort of routine. And that's, that's totally what Welcome Interstate Managers is, is all about. I used to fly for United Airlines Then I got fired for reading high times My license expired in almost no time Now I'm retired and I think that's fine Because the sun still shines in the summertime I'll be yours if you'll be mine I tried to change, but I changed my mind 
think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine because the sun still shines in the summertime. I'll be I think a lot of these albums actually yeah. have those first three albums all have this is funny i made the same observation when i was listening to these things like yeah this is all about like people who've just graduated from college mm-hmm. i almost called it what it might what my personal joke was i think of those first three albums as sort of like office space the soundtrack like, <laughs> it is it could be like if office space was set in like you know the tri-state area it's the same people with the same kinds of problems and the same kinds of difficulty adjusting to their you know this this work routine but anyway scott i interrupted you sorry but you know their character sketches are so detailed um i I think of a line that i read a bit ago which is uh humor columnists usually suck but columnists who are humorous can be very good fountains of wayne is not a a humor band i mean their their songs are not meant to be to be laughed at i guess (laughs) right but they are funny in their ways through 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 the songs and, and that's how they were successful um, Jeff mentioned the lyrics, and I think you know there is a knock on the band for the lyrics not being deep and not having meaning. But uh, I, of course, will double Jeff's observation. I think their lyrics in many places are really quite good and, and better than many give them credit for. And there's a few songs we'll talk about that I, I, I think the wordplay is so precise that you you can take them in in many different ways, or at least two or three different ways as to what the actual meaning is, you know, face value or the or the stuff that's just under the surface. There's a lot of, a lot of that happening in Fountain yeah, of Wayne songs. You know, to me, they're not deep, but there's a sophistication there. And, you know, living in Oklahoma, when I first discovered them, you're right. I mean, all those songs about the tri-state area, it was, it was interesting because it was, you know, to me, New York was this far away, really cool place. <laughs> and yet they're talking and singing about the day-to-day activities right riding on the subway taking a sick day um and it wasn't this glitzy glamorous new york in fact they they expanded out into the suburbs uh and so you know to me there's just something really special and unique about the way that they described the world that they were living in they didn't you didn't necessarily want to be them right as you were listening to you know i I was a i I was coming out of uh my metal phase and going into you know alternative music i I never wanted i never imagined like you know chris and and adam on on harley davidson's cruising down uh, the sunset strip or down you know times square like they they weren't um quite the opposite you know adam wants you to leave the biker right exactly exactly but but the world that they that they inhabited was a world that was somewhat familiar i think to to all of us even without the references to the long island expressway and you know the malls of, of north jersey um because you know i was that age where i was getting out of college and just starting my job and so there was that familiarity and to kind of grow older with them over the years i think was a real treat the one thing i want to mention before we get into the first debut album jeff mentioned a handful of influences and i think certainly people will um, agree with most of those you know i i i point to uh certainly the cars we'll talk about a bit i think there's a lot of devo in places uh the sweets or sweet from the 70s and the one influence that i thought was really interesting i read this interview with adam schlesinger uh, a while ago where they talked about some of the key influence for the for the band, and I wouldn't have put my finger directly on this, but it makes total sense, and that's Randy Newman, uh, because especially Adam's songwriting, you know, the ability to take something very small and create a whole narrative around it, or the uh, the ability to take these snapshots, these character sketches, I, I think you can hear be very influenced by 
uh, the music and, and the songwriting of, of, of Randy Newman back in the 70s specifically. Um, go ahead. question I have is that before we even start talking about Fountains of Wayne, isn't there a song that we have to get to first, which is uh, I, technically, I suppose, an Adam Schlesinger side project, but it's, you know, I think the irony, the irony here is that maybe the song he's most famous for, and it comes out before their first album. Of course, nobody knew who he was at that time. He's just a guy who wrote a hit song, and the name of that hit song is That Thing You Do from the film That Thing You Do. I don't know what you guys think of this one, but the minute I heard this on the radio, I was like, that's a great song. Because, of course, I love the Beatles. And this is great Beatlesque pop from a, like a one-hit wonder band in America in the 1960s. And I found out, again, three days ago that he's the guy who wrote that. It's an incredible piece of songwriting because in the movie, and I, I'm, I'm trusting we've all seen the film, but that song gets played 11 different times, you know, in, in different iterations, whether it be, you know, bits and pieces. I think it's played maybe twice full length, maybe only one time full, full length. But it has to work on so many levels. It has to be a song that you believe that a, a first-time songwriter might, might write. It has to be a song that fits in the era that the film is set in. It has to be fresh to your ears each time you hear it. The kids have to like it. The radio stations have to have to like it and to check all those boxes with a song that still sounds fresh today is an amazing accomplishment and it's adam schlesinger wrote it and then uh mike viola who maybe won't ever get a political beats episode but is a really talented uh, uh singer songwriter his solo career he had a band called candy butchers he's worked with ryan adams in the past and has done uh, some work with adam through a few different projects mike viola does the vocals on that thing you do uh and they're perfect they're perfect too it's just it's a great partnership and, and a wonderful song for that movie because we could be happy can't you see if you don't need that me be the one to hold you and keep you here with me because it hurts me so I mean, that, that song is perfect, as you say, for that film. And the amazing thing to me is that, you know, it doesn't just sound retro. Obviously, they were they were going for a, a 60s sound, but it didn't sound anachronistic. And that's one of the cool things I think about Schlesinger's work in general is that, you know, he could, I mean, he, listen, he could write these incredible pop gems, but he could also, you know, do the more atmospheric stuff with a, a band like Ivy. But there's a timeless quality. And maybe it goes back to, you know, Randy Newman as, as one of his influences, because there is something about the, the songwriting itself, not even the production value, but just the songwriting that, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound dated, even when he's trying a little bit to make it sound dated. I mean, I think it's hilarious because my first thought once I found out that he'd written that song and I first and after i digested that first fountains of wayne album the one we'll talk to talk about in a second i was like that could have fit on the album perfectly I mean, the only thing that would have had to be done is maybe give it like a, a slightly more like you know snarky witty lyric right you know <laughs> a little more clever lyric as opposed to like the 60s fun pop kind of lyric but that the chord changes on that the melody on that it sounds completely of a piece with the rest of the stuff on this upcoming first album which of course is the first fountains of wayne album i heard because i start chronologically and 
I gotta say, this is a hugely impressive album. It 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 did it shows the signs of being a two man band. So like the drumming is a little stiffer than it would be on subsequent albums. And like some of the overdubs are a little like, you know, you can tell they're they're just like, you know, sitting in a room coming up, well, let's put let's put a clever bleep or a bloop on this. And, you know, okay, maybe some keyboards here will work. So it doesn't quite have the organic feeling of the later band arrangements. But man, what a great record this is. Um I feel like such a fool for not having given it a shot when, you know, I was nineteen. 28 years old. I just, I don't know why I, I skipped this for so long. Well, because I thought I thought I thought the band was like you know just another like you know you know novelty act, Fountains of Wayne, sort of like Offspring, I suppose, or you know Helmet. You know, I think my my sense of what what, what alternate rock was in the '90s, you know, back when I was living through it and going through my classic rock snob phase, was that oh, this is all ephemeral stuff. It isn't going to last. You know, I have one album. And I, you know, anybody remember what Silverchair did after that first album? <laughs> I, I guess I just, without knowing better, I just popped them into that box, and that was a really dumb move. Scott? Yeah. Oh, sorry, you were saying, Cam? Oh, I was just going to say. I mean, the, it, it's funny because I was definitely a power pop fan. Like as I moved out of metal. Uh, I discovered bands like the Posies uh, and, and, you know, Fountains of Wayne. And so they're at Jellyfish. I mean, those were the bands that, that I was really into. And so what I liked about Fountains of Wayne is that, yeah, they had that rock sound, but they weren't grunge. You know, they, they were much more melodic. It was not ever going to be mistaken for Pearl Jam or Stone Temple Pilots, uh, which was the, you know, the prevailing alt-rock sound of the day. And so to me, Fountains of Wayne did sound different. They weren't cookie cutter when they came out. There's the, the music here, despite the fact that it's just two guys, and, and you know, like, I don't know how they track it. Like, presumably, Adam has to play the drums. Chris is playing, you know, a rhythm guitar track, and then they have to go put everything else on afterwards. Well, they had a, they did bring in a bassist to play on the album, so most of this was oh, done they did. as a, as a three piece with Adam on oh, drums. Okay, yep. well then that makes a little more sense because what I was going to say is that it has, sounds really sprightly. It has a very there are some really kind of like heavy power pop moments. I think one of my favorite songs on the album is "I've Got a Flare," hmm. which is just this great heavy you know harmonic chord rocker. But like "Leave the Biker," she's got a problem. Survival Car. These are all like like kind of like really upbeat and fun and light and just brilliantly witty little like cameos um i've just been absorbing this album for the last several days and i'm so delighted by a song like leave the biker i imagine you know this guy's a really you know masculine the biker character is like this big you know like 
He's wearing a leather jacket. He's got an enormous beard. He's kind of well, what we'll say. He's a Cam Edwards type, <laughs> right? You know. Uh, and then there, there, there's Adam sitting in the corner of the bar with his button-down shirt and you know his skinny jeans, feeling like, "What's wrong? Why can't I get that girl to be interested in me?" And he just writes this really funny lyric about it. You know, leave the biker, leave the biker, break his heart. You know, and the biker's vulgar. He's got like what is it? It's like he's got crumbs in his beard from the seafood buffet or something like. The seafood yeah. special, yeah. Seafood special. Oh, it's so funny, and it's just such a great bouncy lyric on top of it. And I wonder if he ever has cried. He couldn't get a day for the prom. He's got his arm around every man's dream. He crumbs in his beard from the seafood special. Oh, can't you see my world is falling? There's a ton of great moments, and before we leave, leave the biker. I had uh, we we have we email back and forth, and Jeff said, "Man, this reminds me of Wilco a little bit in some places, especially later on." And I said, that's so weird because I'm listening to Leave the Biker and Leave the Biker ends on this sustained piano chord, which reminded me of the end of Red-Eyed and Blue from Wilco from being there, which, of course, reminds me of uh, A Day in the Life from the Beatles with uh, that sustained piano chord resonating, which is how Leave the Biker ends. Uh, you mentioned I've Got a Flare, which is, I don't know, my first or second favorite song on the album. It's just like this supercharged uh, song and, and that melody... If you can listen back to it, it's just sort of, it's that melody from the coda of Layla, like twisted sideways. back a couple of times during I've Got a Flare, which is uh, just this overdriven synth. It starts with this hollow drum beat, uh, but I love that melody. Uh, I should mention, you know, uh, Adam Schlesinger is writing songs for Fountains of Wayne, and so is Chris Collingwood, who is the uh, uh, guitarist and, and lead singer. But they don't they don't work together. Uh, they write separately. They, they have co-writes on all these songs. They said that it felt silly to argue about who wrote 15% or 10% when they got in the studio. So it's all co-writes, though they, they essentially worked alone. And so we don't know specifically who wrote which song, but we do know in some cases. Um, and sometimes you can get the, the feel or the vibe, I guess. On this debut album, you know, Collingwood wrote for sure uh, Joe Ray. He wrote Leave the Biker. He wrote Radiation Vibe. 
And he wrote a song called Barbara H., which I love as well. We know Isn't that about his wife? Right. So we know he wrote it. Yeah. Uh, it's about his wife. Uh, but Barbara H. is such a great, has this huge sing-along chorus to it. And sort of the inside winking references about writing pop songs. Barbara hates that the radio plays the same old songs. And uh, and then Collingwood writes, she, she hates songs that never seem to go away. And now neither will mine. Sort of a, a, a little elbow yes. to, to the ribs of writing these power pop tunes that just get stuck in your head all day long. Barbara H. is one of my favorites on the album. And the two big, I want to say big singles, but the two big radio hits that got some play, Radiation Vibe, um, and then Sink to the Bottom, which is, as I mentioned, the one that sort of stuck with me from this album before I heard Utopia Parkway. This is a great album for road trips, and I don't have a convertible, but, you know, top down, volume up, sing along to those big hook choruses. It's a wonderful debut album. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Sink to the Bottom is one of my favorites. Sick Day uh, is another one that I just think has this this great vibe to it. And again, it's it's they're already starting to tell those stories, uh, you know, on that first album with a song like Joe Ray that uh, Chris Collingwood wrote. Uh, wrote. Uh, but you know, on, on Sick Day, it's this entire story about a a you know this girl in the office that uh, you know Adam is uh, apparently you know watching and 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 you know describing uh, you know how she's got this melancholy and ennui and uh it's i don't know there's, there's, there's just an atmosphere uh about this entire album as you say it's it's not quite as thematic as some of their later work like welcome interstate managers but it, it is of a time and a place um and they just capture it perfectly here is the man pushing paper past her thinks of ways to make the day go faster but the day goes on songs on this 
album like still hold up and i don't have a problem with them like so like please don't rock me tonight i think that might be one of the weakest songs on the first album but i still like that song because i always consider i I consider it to be like a really fun funny inversion of all those cock rock songs where like i'm gonna rock you all night or like you know think of acdc you know (laughs) you shook me all night and so what 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 is what is chris saying says please don't rock me tonight i'm not in the mood (laughs) just like like i think like equivalent of like I'm saying I have a headache. Please go away. <laughs> I, I don't want to deal with this right now. But I really love, you know, something like Survival Car, which as a as a name, as a title, just is like a funny thing. Because I'm thinking about like, you know, like a car that's about to fall apart. But it's also just like, you know, a, a car where you get in and you, uh, you, you just drive around. You take the long way home through Central Park uh, because you, you feel freer. And happier when you're in your car than you are when you're just like, you know, dealing with the everyday drudgery of the world. And it's just, uh, again, that that fun, almost skiffily beat, very innocent way that Chris sings it. Um, Just, you know, fantastic little song that, you know, reminds me of, as I said, the kind of thing that I thought Big Star would be when I got those albums, but they weren't. Don't you want to ride in my survival car? There's again, there's so much good stuff. You curse at girls is just hilarious. Like you know, when when you curse at girls, you're basically you're cursing at yourself. It's almost like I almost imagine it's like you know, a a mom or a dad trying to impart a respectful (laughs) lesson to their son. It's such a good song. This is a really great debut album. And so you know, Radiation Vibe and Sink to the Bottom get some get some play, and they're picked up by Atlantic Records who uh, prepares a, a rollout for album number two. Hey, they sent it to radio stations. I know. I got a copy. Although at some point I bought my own. I had to give it back to the, to the, to the radio station. Uh, and that's album number two, Utopia Parkway. Um, and, and this is where, certainly more than the first album, there's this strong thematic uh, story uh, about really like suburban New Jersey, living in suburban New Jersey. Um, I read something at some point, I think Adam... It was Adam, not Chris. A- Adam was a huge Kinks fan and loved those Kinks records where you listen and, you know, it's it's Ray writing and singing about living in, living in England and, and, and his little town in England. And they kind of had that idea about doing that for Utopia Parkway, just being a New Jersey suburbia snapshot. Uh, when they toured for that first album, they added two bandmates, Jody Porter on essentially lead guitar, and then Brian Young on drums. And Jeff had mentioned earlier, the first album is really just a, it's a two-man band, but Jody Porter and Brian Young come on for Utopia Parkway, and they're there for the duration of the band's existence. This was not just a you know a two-person operation. This was a you know a real band, a real four-piece band with the same guys playing on all these albums, which I think adds some consistency. It also adds some thickness 
to Utopia Parkway. It's not Adam kind of banging on the drums anymore. It's a, it's a professional uh, drummer uh, behind the kit for Utopia Parkway. Um, I don't know what you guys think of Utopia Parkway. I, when we announced the episode, I, I remember seeing a few tweets, and I know Fountain, some Fountains of Wayne fans consider this their strongest work. I, I, I don't. I mean, I think it's on the level or near the level of all these first four albums, but I always have Utopia Parkway a step or two behind and there's something about it, and we can we can talk about this. But I think the 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 subjects of some of these songs are just a little detached and a little distant. There's not that emotional core that would really drive some of their their really great stuff on even just the very next record. Even in some of the character sketches that they excel in on Utopia Parkway, I don't think they ring quite as true. So I have a little issue with that. But there are still some outstanding songs on Utopia Parkway. As the noob here, as the guy who only discovered them like you know several days ago, I'll say I love this album. And I, again, there's like maybe one song on it that I don't think is that great. That's Laser Show, which again yeah. is a funny thing. It's very, very <laughs> suburban. Like, yeah, we're all going to go to the Laser Show at the Planetarium, dude. And I think they even make references to like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, which is always the thing that would play. Like you'd get stoned and you'd go to the Planetarium and watch the lasers, right? It's, it's, such, it's such a perfect image. But the song itself is a little bit just too obvious straight ahead rock but there's some stuff on here that i really just stuff that makes me both laugh and stuff that really makes me feel like pretty thoughtful and ruminative i think a fine day for a parade is a great song i think that's one of the ones that collingwood wrote actually yes um there's that that great line where um, i hope i don't misquote it it's just like you know the, she clears her head up with bourbon because beer is so suburban and déclassé for what it's worth, which is just a great little little observation about some people's drinking habits. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's a sad, sad chorus. You know, she drinks it down, down, down for all the old days. She's thinking of it now. It's nice to get away, but what a fine day for a parade. Almost like you can, you know, you can feel depressed and like you're going nowhere in your life, or maybe that the world has passed you by, but. Well, you know, at least there's something to do here in this suburban town that I live in. Clears up her head with bourbon, cause beer is so suburban. And they class A for what it's worth. She drinks it down, down, down. For all of the old, old days. She's thinking of it now. I love that little character sketch. Um, I think the other one I wanted to mention that it really just always made me laugh when I heard it is Hat and Feet because I heard the song and it begins with like, you know, I'm just a hat and feet. And I started thinking to myself, well, you know, that reminds me of that reminds me of one of those Warner Brothers cartoons. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where, right. where Bugs Bunny drops a piano on Yosemite <laughs> Sam. And then they get to that. Yes. And then the second verse, it's like, yeah, somebody dropped a piano on my head. The girl's girl dropped a piano on my head. And now I'm just a little cartoon hat with feet waddling around. And I just love the fact that the image was so striking perfect and well chosen that it immediately conjured up for me without even having to be told what they were going for with the song and it's just another really cute very brief pop song says what it needs to say and then ends cold you dropped a bomb on me 
about all these songs but let's give cam a little space here well you know it's, it's funny because i mean you know this is the album where you do start to get into sort of the the joking uh, lyrics a little bit more and i know that chris collinsworth had said or chris collinwood had said that he didn't want them to be seen as a novelty band he wanted them to to be taken seriously so you know he wrote troubled times which is i think probably Great my song. favorite song on the album uh amity gardens which is i think another just absolute uh a gem but you, know, you look at the stuff that Schlesinger wrote, like Red Dragon Tattoo, the one that I turned into a lullaby for my kids. I mean, this is a song about going to Coney Island, getting drunk, and getting a tattoo, right? It's it's very straightforward. To, um, to impress a girl. That, I mean, that's the important girl, right. twist. <laughs> so you need to look a little more like that guy from Corn, right? Um, which is really hard, by the way. That's a hard line to turn into a lullaby. But, you know, again, <laughs> the way he's able to paint a picture and, you know, put you in these settings – um, you know, when I heard that album, I don't think I had a tattoo. I didn't know what Basil Hayden was, but I, I, I could, I, I felt exactly what he wanted me to feel about, you know, and and what we've all felt about trying to impress that girl that you know just you you know that she'd be into you if she would actually you know look at you, uh, and it's just about you know trying to get that chance and, and to to put it in a context that it's not. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a, a you know, a, a backwards walking love song. I mean, it's about mm-hmm. a girl, but she's not really the feature of that song. <laughs> um, and, and then I gotta say, like, it must be summer. That is still, I play that song on the first day of summer every year uh, in my car. I'll go for a drive and I will play that because I, I just, I love that that feel. And it's so anachronistic now because the whole song is about not being able to get in touch with with the girl right because this is pre-cell phone so you call her house and she's not there i think she's at the beach you're trying to track somebody down we don't do that anymore uh but uh, you know i so i guess in a way it kind of makes me uh you know feel a little nostalgic for the old days but it's just such a great great driving song and a great way to uh to embrace those sort of, you know, lazy days of summer that we used to have when when we didn't really have anything scheduled when it was about just trying to hook up with our friends and what was the day gonna gonna bring um again it's just i don't know it just uh it's a great song Try your
So when Scott told me that he said he didn't find the character sketches on this one to be very moving, um, that was what I was, you know, I went back to it again and I listened to the lyrics more carefully. And, and I guess I've just got to say I disagree with you, you know? Hmm. there's the, the, My favorite song on, gosh, it may, it's definitely going to make my top five at the end. And I don't know, it's very close to my favorite song of their career is Prom Theme. Which again, you know, it's it's very telling that this is almost like an adolescent, uh, you know, tone. They're talking about kids. They're talking about you know maybe you know people who just graduated from college. It's very you know it's youth oriented music, literally, right? I'm surprised they didn't really make a you know big hit in the college scene because they're pitching it so <laughs> specifically to that thing. But prom theme is not only the lyrics. I really like it. You know. It's you're talking about, you know, here we are at last, the moment will soon pass. Every All that stuff that you think at prom, like, and everybody's drunk and so I'm like, oh, man, I'm really going to miss you, you know. But then it gets a little bit, you know, more kind of, you know, naked about, you know, how silly it is. You know, the, you know we're all running out of gas. The girls are feeling sick. We're going to pass out on the beach. We're soon we'll say goodbye, and then we'll just work until we die. And it's all set to this really beautiful music. I think, you know, maybe there are fans out there who think this is like too goopy. It's probably the most, you know, straight up sort of emotionally romantic ballad that the band ever did. I mean, it's got full string section and it's, you know, it's a slow moving ballad. Uh, certainly the most sentimental thing. But I think it's, it's a moment of, of true beauty in their discography. And I think really almost the only one. Uh, so I really love that song, and it really stands out for me for that reason. Here we are at last, we're running out of gas. The air is getting thick, the girls are feeling sick. We'll pass out on the beach, our keys just out of reach. And soon we'll say goodbye, then we'll work until we die. You know, there's again, I don't really find there to be, you know, much in the way of things to complain about here, which is why I feel so stupid about not having heard <laughs> Fountains of Wayne until recently because these albums are so consistent. Troubled Times, which is one that Cam mentioned, that is such a good song. And I actually have thought about what the, the lyric actually means because what's the chorus, right? It's like maybe someday soon it'll all come out how you dream about each other sometimes with the memory of how you once gave up, but you made it through the troubled times. So, like, are these people together no. or are they apart no. and you're hoping that they'll get back together? I'm not sure Neither. how to read it. So, I, 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 Trouble Times is a, is a Collingwood track and it's probably, it's like their first irony-free song. Like, it just is, uh, as yeah. Cam mentioned, he really wanted it to be a serious song. Uh, I read this song, and this is going to happen at least two or three other times during the course of our discussion, because there are a bunch of songs like this. Again, you read it one way, you read the lyrics one way, you listen a different way, and you dig a different way. I see Trouble Times as um, a, a guy who has, has built this future fantasy about the girl that he doesn't have the nerve to talk to. 
so like down the road, you know, we like, we do get together and we find out we were both dreaming about each other, but it's it, but that's not going to happen because he can't even get the nerve to go talk to her. That's the way I reach trouble times. That makes sense. I, I can totally see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that does make sense. Although, uh, you know, reading the lyrics, when you talk about, uh, you know, you were reaching for attention, hoping she would notice you, right? Uh, collecting bottles and throwing away cans like like she was returnable and one day would fill your hands. Um, it's interesting because the, you know, the, the verses do have that, do give that sense of unrequited love or the, the, the guy who couldn't find the courage. But to me, the chorus, as you say, Jeff, it, it, and maybe it's just because I'm the eternal optimist, but, but I always read it as uh, it, the happy ending. You know, you, they got their happy ending eventually. Um, and, and so to me, it was always a very, a very positive song. Uh, there were times when my wife and I were having troubles, and that was the song that, you know, kind of sustained me in, 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 in some cases where it was the, the sort of go-to, like, all right, you can get through this. These are troubled times, but uh, it'll all work out. And and so it is interesting how you can read these different ways. But, yeah, to me, it was always, I don't know, like I said, I, maybe it's just the optimist in me, but I always thought it was the song <laughs> with a happy ending. Piling away every hour in your room, rolling with emotion, waiting till it's opportune, sitting there watching time fly past you. Why do tomorrow what you could never do? How she loved you, all you imagine, all the shit you put her through. Maybe one day soon it'll all come out. How you dream about each other sometimes with a memory of how you once gave up, but you made. I mean, I think maybe that's the reason you wrote it that way. So yeah. there would be some sort of ambiguity in there. Let me let me make two references to songs that Ken mentioned. Uh, it must be summer. Fantastic, right at the end of the album. They're actually that and Red Dragon Tattoo are two things I want to tie back to perhaps being influenced a little by Elvis Costello. It must be summer reminds me of the other side of summer from Mighty Like a Rose, in that those those chords are bright, but the lyrics are a little bit darker. Certainly on the Costello song, and then on It Must Be Summer, again, the whole thing is he can't find the girl, right? It's like it must be summer, it's fun, and I can't find the person I'm looking for. And then on Red Dragon Tattoo, just fa- a phenomenal song. But the one verse, and I'll, I'm going to try to kind of semi-sing it here. Apologies to the to the band. <laughs> but, you know, the 38 special, you know, I bought a 38 special CD collection, some back teen to prevent infection. And in case I get queasy, a photo of easy. Rider, <laughs> right? That is so Costello in finding just the the places in the melody and how the words sound uh, is is as important as what the words say. I just love that verse. I hear the man say you want to see the others made in a heart that says mother, but I don't know from their time, and I never give her time. 
hear By the way, I, I heard that lyric and I had to laugh when I heard them say, like, <laughs> I bought a 38 special collection because I was like, I thought I was the only person in the world that remembered that band existed. <laughs> like, my dad had like old, like, 38 special videos. Wild on Out his, Southern his, Boys. Right. I was just like, who remembers 38 special? But apparently they did, and well, it works so perfect. And then the 38 special is the kind of band that would have like these these tattoos that were put on by a guy at a at a you know at a fair or you know at the right. at the at the carnival. It's just exactly. a perfect reference. It's a perfect reference for that. It really song. is. Uh, so uh, anything anything else on Utopia Parkway, guys? No, actually, I'm going to open our discussion of. Uh, the next Fountains of Wayne album by asking, uh, has there ever been a better song written about a quarterback falling into the pocket to throw a <laughs> touchdown pass than all kinds of time? Or has there ever been another? Not, not, not better, but has there been <laughs> Where another? Where do you get the idea for that song? I love that. That song is a fantastic song, but it is sort of the quintessential thing that I think people think of when they look. Fountains of Wayne writes these songs about strange and you know pointless subjects, but I think that's a great song. Like, I mean, you ever wondered what the quarterback is thinking as he falls back and the whole world seems to slow down he, you know he, he he knows he's under attack he's thinking of his uh, his mother and his bride-to-be his two younger brothers who are watching on the tv it's just a, a fantastic conceit and it's executed to just again just effortlessly beautiful music the clock's running down the team's losing Young quarterback waits for the snap when suddenly it all starts to make sense. He's got all kinds of time, he's got all kinds of time, all kinds of time. He's got all kinds of time, all kinds of time. This might be the only song about uh, a quarterback dropping back that I'm aware of. But, you know, again, what, what's so cool to me is about you know, the, the, the character sketches that these guys create. It's not just about telling a story. It's it's about, I mean, at this point, you know, you really are talking about a moment in time. Yes, he has all kinds right, of time. But right. in reality, he's got four or five seconds, right? right. And so you, you're able to stretch out this, you know, five second period of time to a three and a half minute, beautifully crafted pop song. Uh, and, and the, the character development in their, in their songs, they don't have to be about, you know, following somebody throughout an entire relationship arc. It can really just be plucking this one moment, this one play, part of one play in a football game. And, and as you say, you know, all of a sudden now you're sort of lost uh, in that moment because of the picture that they're able to paint. 
Scott, you want to open our just uh, or continue our discussion of welcome interstate managers here? Because yep. I know this has been the one that you've wanted to talk about for about two and a half years on this show. Boy, oh boy, do I love welcome <laughs> interstate managers. Um, it, it would be essentially a perfect album if not for the fact that it was released in the CD era, which means it has about two or three more tracks that it probably should. There's 16 songs on here, and even for They're a all at the end, too. Which yes, is the they are. Part. Yes, yes. You're absolutely you could, you right. You could end it with Fire Island and, and be all. Yep. basically a perfect album that yes yes I, I could not agree more but i could disagree more <laughs> well okay, okay. <laughs> those those first 12 13 songs are are just perfect and and, and, and as i said I, I would drive around and listen to welcome interstate managers or have it on a, on the train going back and forth from chicago to the, to the suburbs and so many of these songs hit absolutely home uh for me um, I, I, I want to focus, I want to make sure I talk about that three-song stretch in, this, in the center of this album that I think is among the best writing and music of the decade, of the decade of the 2000s. Uh, four, five, six. So Hackensack, No Better Place, and Valley Winter Song. Those songs are so amazingly good. Uh, Hackensack, about the town, in, you know, referencing the town in New Jersey, is this, is this guy holding on to a, a fantasy that will never, ever happen. Um, yeah. oh, I will wait for you as long as I need to. You're going to have to wait forever because he's, it's, it's a guy who was in class, one period of one class with this really attractive girl who went on to be a famous actress. And he's like, well, you know, I know you're out in L.A., but if you want to come back to Hackensack, I'm working for my dad. And <laughs> yeah, Who comes back uh, to right? Hackensack? No one's That's coming back. That's why it's so heartbreaking. Right? That's it's hard. No one comes back to Hackensack. It's 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 tragic and sad. It's not nostalgic at all. It's just this illusion that the character is holding on to, set to this this these heart this heartbreaking melody. It's just fantastic. I used to work in a record store. Now I work for my dad, scraping the paint off the hardwood floors. The hours are pretty bad. Sometimes I wonder where you are Probably in L.A. That seems to be where everybody else ends up these days But I will wait for you As long as I need to And if you ever get back to Hackensack I'll be here for you uh, No Better Place, to me, is the finest thing that Fountains of Wayne ever recorded. It's my favorite Fountains of Wayne song. Uh, the circular kind of Rickenbacker guitar riff to, to kick things off. Those, those drums kick in, pound in. It sounds great. This is a really well-produced album, too. And that the first lyric, is that supposed to be a, your poker face or was someone run over by a train? Uh, hits so hard. And, and the song is, again, this, this, this guy trying to convince his girlfriend not to leave town, not to leave New York for uh, a, a quote-unquote better place. Uh, that bridge is so beautiful, and uh, you know, here's your reflection in a building uptown. He's seeing your face uh, in, in the mannequins and in, in the buildings, uh, and like like water under bridges. You're slowly passing by as you sail between the rooftops and the sky. 
sky. And that song just takes off from there. No Better Place is my favorite Fountains of Wayne song. And that leads into Valley Winter Song, which I think has kind of become a fan favorite. And it wasn't one of the singles or anything, but it's this... Uh, again, this New York, New Jersey references Upper West Side, Staten Island, New England, New York, uh, equating the season of winter to bad times and how neither will last uh, to this sort of country shuffle. Um, and, and those lyrics hit, hit hard, hit hard, and late December can drag a man down. You feel it deep in your gut. Short days and afternoons spent pottering around in a dark house with the windows painted shut. This is, this is, you know, this emotional shutdown. Uh, that is, that is the core of this album for me, and it is so well done, so powerful. In late December, can drag a man down. You feel it deep in your gut. Short days and afternoons spent pottering around in a dark house with the windows pinned shut. Remember New York staring outside As reckless winter made its way From Staten Island to the Upper West Side Widen out our streets along the way The snow is coming down on our New England town And it's been falling all day One other thing I'll mention before handing it off, because you you guys can obviously talk about these songs, too. Uh, Little Red Light and Hey Julie are back-to-back on this album, and I always think they should be reversed because it is so clear that Little Red Light is the sequel to Hey Julie, because in Hey Julie, it's this incredibly likable song, this bouncing kind of, uh, uh, I think there's even like a... a, Oh, um, a washboard effect almost in there for Hey Julie, where a guy is telling his girl, man, my life sucks, but at least I have you and you make things all okay, and I can't wait to get home to you. And then Little Red Light, which actually happens before Hey Julie on the album, is after she leaves him. And the job sucks and life sucks, and you're not leaving me (laughs) messages on my phone, and you're not sending me emails, and the Little Red Light's not blinking, you're not talking to me. They should be reversed on the album, because Hey Julie comes before Little Red Light. But anyway... Uh, Welcome to Interstate Managers is a is a must have album. Listen, I'm going to let Cam go, uh, you know, before me because I think it's only fair because this is obviously one of his favorite albums of all time. But I just do want to say that we are really so on the same page about a lot of the best songs on this record, Scott. A no better place. The lyric, the lyric for me that always, you know, that really gets me uh, is that line where he said like so i taxi to an all-night party yeah park me in the corner in an old chair sit my drink and stare out into space it's such a like a perfectly evocative image i mean it's something that i've done so i know that (laughs) feeling just absolute hollowed out feeling and look in your eyes when you just know like the thing that you love the most is leaving and you've gone to the party because you know whatever it's just something to do but when you get there you just hide in a corner and you don't want to even talk to anybody all you're just doing is like living with your own sadness and staring out in your reverie yes, your 
such a serious song and i guess that you know point i'll get back to making a little later is that like you it's hard to look at these songs and call them like oh it's just like gimmicky songs no. or joke songs i mean everybody heard stacy's mom and they think that but no it's not that way at all cam yeah uh so first of all going back to uh, the little red light hey julie phenomena what if julie was the rebound girl <laughs> okay okay that's that so there you go See, again i'm always looking for those happy endings i was on the phone making pointless calls i got a desk full of paper that means nothing at all sometimes i catch myself staring into space counting down the hours till i get to see your face Hey Julie, look what they're doing to me Trying to trip me up, trying to wear me down Julie, I swear it's so hard to bear it And I'd never make it through without you around No, I'd never make it through without you around You know, one of the things that I, I, I love about this album To me, it's a little schizophrenic There's there's not a lot of like mid-tempo songs You've got the you know the, the the big rock songs of like Bright Future and Sales and, uh, and, and Little Red Light, and, and then you've got the the much slower songs. To me, it it, it kind of reminds me in a way of uh, the band Driving and Crying, um, the Athens Georgia band that mm-hmm. again had a couple of hits but never really hit it big. And if you listen to their albums, it was like half you know hard rock and then half very acoustic folky, and, and it could kind of take you out of uh, of that space because it was you know kind of jarring. To me, the the structure of this album works a lot better than what Driving and Crying was ever able to do with uh, with, with with you know their hard versus soft stuff. But I always like the the big rock songs, and I love the juxtaposition between these you know incredible you know great hooks and riffs, and then they're singing about you know being hungover in an airport, uh, and you know I've got what, what the hell I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to start drinking in the morning, uh, or you know that first line in Little Red Light, you get that great great opening riff and then the first line i'm stuck in traffic on the tap and z and it's <laughs> you know, that's not a i mean this song you know little red light has a lot of movement and momentum to it but you know it's, it's this song that's this incredibly uh you know frustrated guy who uh, who isn't going anywhere and i i just i love that because you know again coming from all rock from that sort of metal space i i really liked the big guitars i liked the the hooks and Fonzo Wayne gave you a little bit of that, but without the, 
you know, the, uh, the the zucchini stuffed in the leather pants, right? It was, it was, <laughs> it, you had that hard rock mentality, but you had an everyday Joe that was the subject matter. Sitting in traffic on the tap and see 50 million people out in front of me, trying to cross the water, but it just might be You know the the sad sack from Hackensack, uh, or you know the guy who is uh, uh, drunk and and you know calling on the phone. Uh, you know, and, and every time I, I uh, hang up, I get hung up on you. Uh, there's there's just something that is uh, very resonant to I think you know the 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 average everyday life that most of us lead. This album gave it a rock soundtrack, and I just thought that was really cool. I will say this that. The best thing that I can say about a song like Bright Future in Sales is that it sounds like the kind of thing that Rhett Miller from Old 97s would have written. It's such an incredibly detailed, you know, depiction of a guy who who is, you know, basically a screw up but is, you know, maybe trying to do something better with his life but maybe keep self-sabotaging himself and all these little details are just woven into the into the narrative that makes it both funny and also maybe a little bit pathetic at the same time. So he's like, you know, I'm sleeping. He's a guy who's basically he's a, who's drunk and he keeps on, you know, drinking himself, you know, out of his ambitions. So I said, I'm sleeping on a planner at the Port Authority. I was like, I'm waiting for the bus to come. I had eight scotch and sodas at the office party. Now I don't remember where I'm from. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to get my shit together because I can't live like this forever. You know, I've come too far and I don't want to fail. I got a new computer and a bright future in sales, which is, you know, some people will treat that as a joke, like, ah, ha, ha, this guy thinks he's going somewhere. But no, I think it's a story about a guy who actually like says, like, I can, I can yeah. aspire to something better than what it is I'm doing with my life. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to keep on just, you know, like, you know, going back and making the same errors again and again, set to just this electrifying music, just most magnificent, you know, uh, you know, musical accompaniment that you would ever want to have with a pop song about a subject like this. Sales. 
I guess, you know, one other thing I'll say is that their first, like, true country experiment is on this record with Hung Up On You. And I know a lot of people like it. A lot of people mentioned it to me when I signaled that we would be doing Fountains of Wayne on this episode. And I think it's good, but I did have to point out that it's it's a little more than a little bit derivative. It's clearly, and we covered Graham Parsons uh, on an earlier episode, it's clearly You're Still On My Mind mm-hmm. from The Bird's Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And in fact, you can sing the chorus to the exact chorus. <laughs> you know, an empty bottle, a broken heart, and you're still on my mind. Ever, ever since you hung up on me, I'm hung up on you. Now, maybe there's, you know... Uh, an argument to be made that a lot of the tropes of country music melody are, are going to be yeah. reused that's and recycled. Pretty, that's pretty dead on. And I didn't even realize it until you pointed it out. Yeah, it's still a fun song. It's a good song. It's a little lightweight, um, but I know a lot of people like it. Uh, I think also we've all got to talk about this because, I mean, it isn't almost funny. And we've gone through like most of the songs <laughs> on this album and we haven't mentioned Stacy's mom. And I got to tell you, whether it's a novelty hit or not, Stacy's mom has got it going on. <laughs> That's a great flipping song. Yes, it's kind of a throwback to like, okay, it's kind of a funny song, right? It's almost, it's almost a charmingly pathetic thing about this like 15-year-old kid who thinks that like, yeah, man, I can totally get like the hot MILF in my neighborhood. I'm going to like, you know, I'm not a man or I'm not a boy anymore. What was his line? He's like, I'm not the little boy I used to be. I'm all grown up now. <laughs> you know, of course, he's like 16 or 15. <laughs> the video for this makes it so hilarious because like, like the girl who Stacy is, it's actually a really really cute girl like in high school you would have like totally wanted to date that girl (laughs) right and she's clearly into the guy the little boy and he ignores her because all he could do is is, think about stacy's mom but it's a funny song and also can you deny the absolutely massive carved out of granite pop hook of the chorus it's just uh, a song that I guess I see, I see why like, the hardcore fans are angry that like, well, you know, that's not all they should be known for. But still, listen, still now that we all song. know this band, can't we just admit it's a great song? <laughs> It is a great song. I mean, it was, you know, obviously, I think it, it if you liked the band, it got overplayed. But, uh, you know, and it's the one that I'll probably skip over the most as I'm as I'm, you know, listening to the album. But, you know, that's just because I, I know it. But when you go back and I went back and I re-listened to it a, a few times over the past couple of days, you're right. I mean, it's like to me, it's like Cheap Trick and the Cars had a baby. Uh, yeah. And it's just this, you know, it's just this great moment in time. It, again, it, it, it sort of harkens back to the 80s, but it is not uh, a ripoff of the 80s. It, it sounded fresh when it came out. Uh, and the, the video was absolutely perfect for its time. I mean, it really was. And and look, you know, yes, as cute as that high school girl might have been, if her mom was Rachel Hunter, Jeff, you know, <laughs> yeah. you'd be saying the same damn thing that, uh, that, that, that they were singing about. So, yeah, it's a it's a great song. Um, one thing that I, I did want to mention, though, is you guys talked about how this album could have ended 
with uh, Fire Island, which is like, you know, song 12. To me, Bought for a Song, uh, which comes a, a couple of songs later, is a is a great song. And, you know, it's also, I think, the first of a theme that they would write about, which is being a not incredibly popular uh, a band having to go out and grind it out on the road. This was their sort of first road song. And uh, Welcome Interstate Managers, you know, they were dropped by the record label after Utopia Parkway. Uh, Adam Schlesinger had, had talked about how Chris Collingwood took it very hard and, and felt like everything that they had worked for was just a, a failure. Uh, and, and this is a very, you know, kind of on the one hand, it, it, it sounds kind of exciting. It starts out, you know, come on, get your ass out of bed. You heard the man said the crew's already gone. Uh, we were all kind of high, but man, what were you on? trying to take a shuttle to Spain that came off the plane. It's, you know, it's this great kind of you know, rock song, but at the same time, you know, it, it, there's also, I, I think a great deal of cynicism to it. Uh, before you get sold, you get bought for a song. And so, you know, they're, they're now, I think they've lost their innocence on this album, <laughs> uh, which is something that they still, I, I, I think they still had a little bit of innocence on Utopia Parkway. Um, but I think that that's gone now. They've, they've tasted the real world. They're not fresh out of college. You know, now life kicked them in the balls a couple of times. And uh, and I think that this album kind of demonstrates that. I think they've grown a little bit from Utopia Parkway. I think that's an okay song, but it feels more like a B-side to me. All of those last four songs, I think Super Collider is the only one that really grabs my interest. It's, it's got a nice sort of like yeah, techie, uh, you know, computery vibe to it, obviously, because it's, it's, you know, Super Collider. But it's still not nearly as good as the Radiohead song of the same name. Um, so I do think that this is the only Fountains of Wayne album, ironically enough, that it is overstuffed. And despite that fact, it could still arguably be their best album, which is a tribute to how great those first 12 songs, which really kind of feel complete. I mean, everything there, uh, it just feels like there's there's nothing that should be dropped in any way. I almost feel like they if they'd put those last four songs on an EP that came as a bonus disc with the album, that would be a, a better way for them to have done this. But of course, they, they, they weren't going to get away with releasing a double album after all. I mean, who on earth would ever want to buy a <laughs> double had, album? They had no label at the time. What'd you say? They had no label at the time. They had no label at the time, album. but they but they were able to get away with releasing a double album because of the success of this album, which is brings us to, of all things, the B-Sides collection of the Fountains of Wayne discography. It's called Out of State Plates, and I got to tell you, I am there. OK, it, it's two CDs. It's 81 minutes long. There are totally some throwaway tracks here. I think it, 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 the, the weaker stuff really actually kind of hides at the end of the record, not the last few songs mm -hmm. on the second disc. Mm -hmm. But man, there is so much good stuff here. You know, there's not only like big pop tracks like Maureen 
which I think was an, like a new song that they recorded just for the release. That's a great, amazing power pop song. But man, there's some stuff that is just genuinely funny, like naggingly memorable throwaway stuff. Like I love California sex lawyer. <laughs> All right. I've got the looks to kill. I got a license to drive or a license to love. I got a German shepherd and his name is Doug. I'm going to become a California sex lawyer. Oh yeah. A California sex lawyer. It's not fair, baby. I don't care. Oh God. I love that song so much. That heavy breathing uh, makes the song. <laughs> it's so it's stupid, but it's through. just so funny. I'm going coast to coast. I'm going nationwide. I got my hand on the trigger. Got my girl by my side. I got the looks that kill. I got a license to love. I got a German shepherd and his name is John. I'm heading for the sun. I'm gonna become a California sex lawyer. Anyways, uh, I could. There are other songs in this album that I could talk more about, but I want to know first of all what you guys thought about this, the B sides collection. You know, I thought it was great, and, and as you say, there's a lot of, of you know hidden gems. Uh, Maureen, obviously, as you said, was previously unreleased. That was the the single that they released. Um, but uh, I'll do the driving. I thought is fantastic. Yep. Uh, the Burt Bacharach, Hal David song that they uh, covered, "Trains and Boats and Planes," which was a, a B side to Stacy's mom. Um, that's beautiful. I, I I love that. They also uh, cover uh, ELO. Can't get it out of my head. By the uh, way, I never liked that song. We did an ELO episode at, uh, with Jack Butler, and I never yeah. liked the song when we when I first covered it. There was another band I knew nothing about. By the way, um, I finally understand why that's a good song when I heard their live version of it. I wow. like their version way better than ELO's original one. That's pretty awesome. Uh, what about Baby One More Time? Do you like the Britney Spears version? No, I actually don't. I mean, I never liked the Britney version at all, and I just don't like their version of it either. I think it's just a bad song that can't be rescued. They were they were going to put that song out with, I think, the I think the B-side of Stacey's Mom or something, and uh, the record label was so excited. They're like, no, we're gonna, we'll, we'll make that the single. We're going to make Baby One More Time the single. And then they said, no, we're not giving you that. So yeah, that's why I got saved God, for this Thank God, I don't album. think that there's anything to merit. There's anything of merit on that song originally or the cover. But, you know, the, the thing that you you come to at least believe about all these songs, most of them are B-sides from the, the various singles that the band released, uh, you know, from their first three albums. Um, a lot of these songs feel like they were just left off because they were too kind of folky or too light and acoustic. And it feels like it's incomprehensible that a song like I Know You Well was left off of Utopia Parkway. That is such a fine acoustic groove. 
December snow Like morning Through an old window There's a place in your head I will always know To the same world born Two of a kind If it's on your mind It'll be on mine Cause I think it would have actually been one of the great songs on that album. I'll Do the Driving is another one of those lovely, ca- yep, lovely cameos. One. It should never have been left off the album. The keyboard solo, I mean, if that's what it is, I don't know if it's a keyboard or not. It's just, it's so lovely. It feels like a lot of these songs were just, you know, discarded or sent away as B-sides because they weren't power poppy enough. And I consider that to be a big mistake. Um, you know, that would have obviously changed the tenor of these albums. They would have felt like something different if, these sort of lighter or more folky or more country songs had been included but it's really glad that they're here and you can find them now because i really think that they hold up well guys have mentioned virtually all the great stuff on here i will point to elevator up which is the best oasis song never recorded by oasis yeah. actually i like elevator up um more than i do uh bought for a song and i think they're kind of they're, they're similar in the, in the way they're they're uh, they're they're written and, and then the other one from the first disc is uh, carpet king which is a, a slushinger song and i love the, the the double meaning because clearly uh they're talking about carpet as in toupee uh, he looks like he's wearing a cheap disguise, but it's real. But also, Carpet King as the like the name of the business this guy this guy owns. He, he's a you know small time a small time but big time small business owner who's betting all the local women in town, but kind of lecherous that the women at work are scared of him. It's just this really neat character, and um, and I, I like the the melody that goes along with with Carpet King as well. Old sunglasses and
in the that concert. song made me laugh too because where I used to live, uh, you know, in Potomac and Rockville, there was a store called Carpet King. There you go. Uh, except the owner was like like an aged Persian man who was very cranky. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't the same character as this fellow. I uh, there are neat covers. The ELO cover. Uh, there's a great version of Jackson Brown's These Days. These Days, yeah. And I guess I'll mention it here. Uh, the version of Better Things from uh, the Kinks that Fountains of Wayne does is is just phenomenal. It's, it's just a tremendous cover. It's not on out-of-state plates. It's on uh, this Kinks tribute album called This Is Where I Belong. Second mm-hmm. time it's been mentioned on the show because that's also where Cracker's version of Victoria is. Uh, Jonathan Richmond does a version of Stop Your Sobbing. It's actually a really good uh, tribute album called This Is Where I Belong, but highly recommend tracking down the the Fountains of Wayne version of, of Better Things. By the way, I'm also always on the lookout for a good Christmas single, and I have to say, <laughs> I really love this Fountains of Wayne Christmas single. It's like funny and innocent. It is like almost like a like a good kid song in the best possible way. It's called "I Want an Alien for Christmas." You know, it's like you know, I, I don't want sweaters. I don't, I don't play basketball, so don't give me a bike or anything like that. I want an alien for Christmas. I want a little green guy about three feet high with seventeen eyes who knows how to fly, and. <laughs> It's just just delightful and goofy and innocent, and there there's no subtext to it. There's no like you know hidden meaning or anything like that. It's just a really fun Christmas song. It's it's a hell of a lot better than Wonderful Christmas Time. All right, <laughs> it, it's it's a lot better than you know Happy Christmas War is Over. Right? You know it, it's 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 maybe not as good as Fairy Tale of New York, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, you guys, you definitely worth checking this record out. This year for Christmas. Something I'd really like So if you're up there somewhere, Santa Please don't bring me another bike I don't need any ugly sweaters And I don't play much basketball But there's something kind of special That I want most of all I want an alien for Christmas To, to me, that song, I Want an Alien for Christmas, that was the Wonders or the Oneeders uh, Christmas single. Yes. Because to me, there's, there's very much that 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 yeah. Wonders vibe to it, right? It, it does harken back to the 60s. And you're right. It is better than Paul McCartney. It might even be a little... I don't know if it's better than uh, Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight by the Ramones, but uh, but it's up there. So and after... This the fourth album. Yeah, Scott, you were going to say? No, just after the, uh, the duel, the two-CD out-of-state plates uh, collection... I think four years, right? Four years is, is what it sounds in my the, mind. I mean, um, 2003 uh, to 2007. Welcome State Managers is 2003, and yep. then this one is 2007. Yeah. And that's Traffic and Weather, uh, which, um, I mean, it didn't have a hit single. It, it didn't climb up the charts. It wasn't uh, It wasn't to be a, a multi-album string of power pop uh, hits on the top 40 charts for Fountains of Wayne, but... Guys, Traffic and Weather is really good, and I think is essentially um, as good as those first three albums. This is one that is done largely by Schlesinger. Collingwood had uh, issues with alcoholism and depression. He only writes three songs on this album, uh, Fire in the Canyon, Hotel Majestic, and and Seatbacks and Tray Tables, and everything else is Schlesinger. 
Uh, I, I think more than ever, there's even a, 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 a sadness to a lot of these stories um, and these characters on traffic and weather. And I'll just start by, I mean, the first song, which was the lead single, Somebody, uh, Someone to Love, which uh, I, I love the way the song is constructed, though, because the song is essentially the story of two people who don't meet. That's that's the that's the end. But you see a, a character, Seth Shapiro. You see a character, Beth McKenzie. We found out about each of them in one of the verses. They're lonely, loveless souls, but also not really trying to find love. And uh, the end, you know, they're both going for a cab and they don't find each other. They don't see each other. That's it. Set to these really 80s-esque synths and almost this disco four-on-the-floor beat. Uh, I do like Someone to Love, the lead single from Traffic and, and Weather. It, it's a, it's a well-constructed song. Beth McKenzie got the job of her dreams Retouching photos for a magazine Aimed at teens It's Thursday night, she should be out on the scene But she's sitting at home watching the King of Queens There's something wrong that she can't describe She takes her contacts out of her eyes Sets the alarm for 6.45 So she can get a little This album actually has some of my favorite songs on it. Um, 92 Subaru. Uh, you know, again, you, you talk about their ability to craft these really great rock songs about the most inconsequential things. Um, you know, it is just, everybody has their first car, right? Everybody has that car that they think, oh, we can, we can I can turn it into something special. Uh, my first car was a 73 Dodge Dart Swinger <laughs> that uh, that you could not turn into anything special. Uh, really did, man. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It really did. Uh, so, you know, Someone to Love is fantastic. 92 Subaru is one of my favorites. I-95 uh, is, is a great love song. Uh, and for you know, uh, for about a year and a half after we moved to the farm, I was living in D.C. during the week and driving home on the weekend. Down I-95, which is a horrible, horrible commute, too, by the way. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, that one, uh, you know, they they sell posters of girls washing cars, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's singing about a, 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 you know, a truck stop uh, in Virginia. Um, and it's, it, you know, that one to me resonated. They've got most of the Barney D. Coffee mugs and teas that say Virginia is for lovers, but it's not. Round here it's just for truckers who forgot to fill up on gasoline, pack up near Aberdeen. It's a nine hour drive from me to you. Just to see you. Just to see you. 
And the new routine, as I said, I think might be my favorite Fountains of Wayne song of all time. I love the the storytelling, how there's this revolving cast of characters uh, and a revolving you know geography, a spinning globe of places. Uh, but just the chorus of I'm so sick of this place. I'm so ready for a change of pace. I'm just looking for a new routine. That was me uh, a couple of years after this album came out and just looking out my front door in Northern Virginia and counting, you know, 28 other homes that I could see and just feeling like people were on top of me and, and, and having lived there for almost a decade, ready to break out and to find that new routine. Uh, th- this was my theme song for, you know, a good year or so of my life. This is the album that I was primed to not like. And why? Well, because I just sort of have, like, after lifetime of listening to rock music and, and sort of the, the arc of an artist's or a band's development, all the signs seemed inauspicious. Commercial failure that comes four years after the band's last album. Really fraught production, apparently, because, you know, I could read about it on Wikipedia. You know, obviously, you know, I'm exploring a band that I don't know much about, like everybody else. I go to Wikipedia. I was thinking to myself, well, this will, this is going to be a big letdown. And it's miraculously, it's not. It's it's pretty much just on the same trajectory as the other three albums are, which is amazing to me. And the, even the songs on this album that initially turned me off won me over. So like the title track, Traffic and Weather, I mean, it's basically like Anchorman, right? You know, it's like, um, you know, you know, like six o'clock news or whatever it is, you know, the, or, the, you know, the Channel 6 news team. And like, you know, they're, they're doing their little patter about, you know, like, you know, this and that. And then all of a sudden the, the one anchor turns to the next one and says, like, you know, it's time I made you my lover. And then and then the chorus is just rock stupid, but also unforgettable. Ooh, we belong together like traffic and weather, like traffic and weather. It's dumb, but it's also lovably dumb. You cannot get it out of your head. one actually that really really knocked me over is the one i even made a joke about a little earlier on the show which is michael and heather at the baggage claim first of all a beautiful song music wise uh but the lyrics again are almost like a puzzle an interesting puzzle like i don't know if they're about what they claim to be about or whether they're about something else altogether right so like what is the song it is literally what it says it is it's like you know about a song about a couple that loses their luggage you know <laughs> they go away to the baggage claim and it, it doesn't come off and then they go to the you know the guy at the kiosk and says i'm sorry we can't <laughs> found it can't find it and you know you're like so is that what this is about or is it about like losing something in your relationship you know losing some essential part of your identity or your love from one another that you you don't know how to replace and and i think it could be almost because there's you know that line at the uh, the end you know this is you know it's been a long day can't we just be on our way 
And then Michael turns to Heather and says, Heather, have you had enough? And Heather just says, Michael, you know that it's you that I love. And that, to me, at least, you know, is the clue that this is more than just a, like a quotidian song about losing your bags at the airport, uh, that it's more about a relationship and sort of the way relationships can get tired or you can lose things about them over time. But that at the end of the day, if the relationship is strong enough, it can hold together. I think that there, you know, yeah, the, the other one that I really like uh, is This Better Be Good, which is just a purely angry jealousy song. And pretty yes. funny too. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, your best friend Renee keeps on saying she saw you at the gap with somebody guy in a baseball cap. And then the chorus is this so you know this better be good. And what he means by that is like, well, your explanation, boy, it better impress me. Because right now, I just think you are a cheating whore. <laughs> that is the <laughs> rage with which Chris sings the song. And again, just another fantastic rock track. You know you keep saying this and it sounds repetitive but there are so few things that that let me down on this i think a planet of weed is kind of boring yes all right you know okay um you know yolanda hayes maybe doesn't do it for me but i love the 1992 subaru silly jokes you know like who's gonna trick out a 92 subaru what he talks about (laughs) what is he he puts a mini bar in there with just a little alcohol i love how he, he stipulates that it's only a little alcohol in his car you know, as if that'll get him off the hook with the cops. It was like a lime green uh, TV. Uh, yeah. Or, and also now he's got the GPS system. So you, I'll never lose you, baby. It's just funny. And also but, you know, the idea of tricking out, you know, uh, like the most throwaway junker beater that you can imagine is, is, is as Cam says, it's wonderful. The, the, best, uh, the best part, though, is that breakdown, which reminds me of that silly breakdown from Panama with David Lee Roth. Right, right. right. Like, <laughs> and this is their version of, oh, I put my, put my hand beneath the seat, roll the seat back. And then, you know, this thing's a beast. The value will only increase. It's been negotiating turns like peace in the Middle East. That's, that's exactly what it reminds me of, is that, is that Panama thing from, from Van Halen.
man, it's such a witty song. And even the smaller songs on here really, you know, do hold up like Revolving Dora. What a what a pretty little almost mysterious song that is. Just goes in and out. It's it between this better be good and Michael and Heather, which I think are the two for me at least two of the major songs on this record. So it kind of falls between those two tall stools, but I think it's an excellent song. Um you know, I guess Collingwood didn't contribute much to this album, but at least he gave us Fire in the Canyon, which is my favorite kind of countryish pastiche of the band's entire career. Uh, and I think one of the best songs that I can at least know for a fact that he wrote, because I really, I, I love that song. And again, it has the, the depression and the melancholy that was clearly becoming you know, part of his hallmark writing style, at least during this era. This is, of course, you know, he was fighting alcoholism um, and he was really not in a good state of mind. And, and that led to a b- bunch of friction in the band that would show up on their next record, which we'll get to. But yeah, uh, Traffic and Weather, man, I, ca- I expected it to be a huge decline and it wasn't. Four more years pass between Traffic and Weather and Sky Full of Holes, which is the, the last studio album from Fountains of Wayne. And uh, if, if, if the last album was kind of fraught production-wise, this one's even more so. Uh, Collingwood describes it as him essentially returning, like when, like when you know, Jagger and Richards would each you know, dump out for a while in the 70s and then come back and try to reassert themselves. Collingwood wanted to come back and say, well, you know, I can write half this album. Uh, and that didn't go so well. And they actually went to therapy to try to work out their issues and eventually uh, said, look, we'll finish the album, we'll tour it, and then that's it. We're done with each other. And if you've read some of the uh, interviews with, I think, both those guys, really, maybe especially Chris, there there was still a real bitterness, at least uh, as of a couple of years ago, between the two of them about how this last album went down, Sky Full of Holes. And uh, I, I think this is one that, that clearly is a, a step back or two steps back from the quality of the, of the, of the past four and it's a different sort of album in terms of songs. It's not that overdriven power pop sort of stuff. It's more of um, kind of acoustic-based writing and, and more about the the pop craftsmanship almost. Um, you know, if, if previous albums were had the influence we, we talked about with maybe Big Star and, and Devo or, or, or bands like that, like the most relevant things I point to from hearing songs on Sky Full of Holes is almost more from the singer-songwriter uh, realm like like Jackson Brown or or, uh, or even like the Jayhawks. Um, there's a lot of that sort of songwriting happening on Sky Full of Holes. For so if you're expecting kind of that supercharged sound of old, it's not there most of the way on Sky Full of Holes. I'm not sure the songs are quite as strong either, guys. No, I, I agree. I just it, it's. The first one where I was like, okay, well, here's the letdown. I was waiting for the letdown, and the letdown finally came. And I think you're right about identifying the sound as being a part of that. It, it is a much more folky, acoustic. And Jackson Brown was an interesting comparison. I think Jackson Brown stuff is a lot better than this, actually. <laughs> we did a show on him. Um, yeah, there, there are a couple of good songs on this one. I think Action Hero is a great song, but that's a song that very much harkens back to sort of the timeless verities of their earlier great albums. It's about a guy who basically, you know, he's just like, you know, a marriage schlub with, you know, a kid who's throwing peas and eating with his feet. But in his mind, he's an action hero and he should be fighting crime and racing it against time. And, and then there's that great line where he goes to the doctor and they're like, you know, and they basically say, you need to get get some rest, cut back on the stress. Um, you know, but he says, I can't do it because I'm an action hero, but you know, he's not, you know, he's just a, you know, a married guy. who's like a Walter Mitty type who like, you know, probably dreams of doing wonderful things, but has to just live his everyday boring existence. Beautiful song, 
beautiful lyric. The doctor says it's really just an educated guess. I suggest you get some rest. Try to cut back on the stress. Cause I don't like what I see. Dip in the Ocean is a pretty great song, too. Um, you know, I think it's almost a bit of escapism. Um, but beyond that, yeah, man, this is the one where I actually I just don't see too much that really appeals to me. And maybe maybe Cam will tell me that I'm missing something. No, I wish that I could uh, because it'd be great if, you know, if they didn't have that clunker. But I, I think I think this one is uh, the, the, the clunker of the bunch. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of that was the tension between the two, uh, uh, you know, Adam and, and Chris at the time. Uh, I think the the move towards a, a more acoustic uh, style, I mean, they had done a couple of acoustic tours, I guess, that uh, Jody Porter, the guitarist, said it had really influenced the sound of the sound. Um, you know, for the, for the fans of, like, the classic Fountains of Wayne sound, the Summer Place – is I, I think a, a a good song. It's not a great song, but it's it's got you know a little bit of that uh, old mystique. Um, I do really like "Someone's Gonna Break Your Heart." I think it's a, a fantastic song. Uh, it's got that driving pop hook. Jeff, I like a dip in the ocean as well, and then you know a road song, which um, I, I don't know who wrote that one, uh, whether it was Adam or Chris. But you know, throughout I guess their last three albums, they they tended to have a song about going out on tour, being out on the road. Uh, you know, I, I guess sort of the same subject matter as like Journeys Faithfully, but uh, uh, but but very much a, a different sound. And this one to me is just so plaintive. Of you know, I'm I'm out here, you're back home. Uh, but you know, I, I can't be with you. But what I can do is I can I can write you a song, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And here it is. And uh, I that one I don't know. It, to me, that should have been the last song on the album. I bought you a light blue T-shirt last night from some band I couldn't stand, but their logo's all right. 
some kid threw a bottle on stage He had an arm like a pro I know it's getting late I guess I should let you go But did I happen to say Hey, I've been writing you a road song Don't run away Cause hey, I promise it won't be very pedestrian, just sort of middle-of-the-road type of uh, material on this album. And I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Cemetery Guns, which is uh, where the, the phrase Sky Full of Holes comes from. It's mm-hmm. the last song on the album. And it's really probably the most political song that, uh, that Fountain's Wayne ever wrote, um, you know, making references to, uh, to the, uh, the war widow. And to me, it, uh, I don't know, it just, it just it really seems out of place within the their, their larger catalog um and i just you know th- this is a it's an album that i will revisit from time to time but i generally don't spend a lot of time on it and it is sort of a it's a sad end to what was really an incredible band you guys covered most of the highlights here uh, the summer place is uh, yeah cam said it's a good song it's not a great fountains of wayne song but it's good i feel like it tries too hard it yeah. tries too hard to be the old style of the band i don't know road song is pretty i like cold comfort flowers all right i I do want to i have a slightly different interpretation of the action hero lyrics than than jeff which is i i don't know if that character is has this kind of action hero fantasy as much as the song is saying that doing those everyday things you know being a dad taking care of the kids going to work making a living makes you an action hero and when he goes to the doctor and clearly is having heart issues doctor says cut back and he's like well what am i what am i supposed to do what am i supposed to do i'm i'm the action hero i'm the guy that provides for my family i'm the guy that takes care of the kids i i, I can't stop doing that stuff so it See, this seems to be like a- an equally plausible take on the song which goes back to your original point about how you really can read these things in yep. lots of different ways yep um so that's that's the Fountains of Wayne output, and as far as I know, they never. I mean, there was no reunion. They didn't play ever again uh, together. I don't. I don't believe after the Sky Full of Holes tour in, in 2011. Um, but we need to talk a little bit here about the side projects, the other things that that Adam Schlesinger had a hand in, and that goes to TV, that goes to uh, movies, that goes to side projects. I don't know where you guys want to start, Cam. Okay. I'll, I'll... Sorry, Cam. Yeah, you go. First. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll just give you a, a quick aside because there's a, 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 a lot that Adam did. But uh, one thing that I did not know that he was a part of, um, he co-wrote Bowling for Soup's High School Never Ends, uh, which was sort of, you know, their follow up. Uh, the first single, I guess, from their album after 1985, <laughs> uh, which has always been one of my favorite Bowling for Soup songs. And I did. I literally did not know until last night that Adam Schlesinger co-wrote that song. And now I've gone back and I've listened to it a couple of times and I can definitely hear his influence. So, you know, besides the, the the music work, the TV work that he did, he also was, you know, he was very much a musician's musician. And there were a lot of guys, uh, a lot of folks within the industry that had a great deal of respect for, for his songwriting ability, for his producing ability. I know we're going to talk about the Monkees uh, and the Good Times album. But, uh, you know, that, that's the thing. I mean, Fountains of Wayne, I think, was an underappreciated band. But with, within his profession, I, I think it's fair to say that Adam Schlesinger was very appreciated for everything that he brought to the table. 
know what's really funny is that at the beginning of the show, I told you I'd never heard really anything about Fountains of Wayne or Adam Schlesinger at all, except for the you know that thing you do, which everybody knew about in 1996. But then I realized that's not actually true because my wife and I were a huge fan of a show called My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which, as it turns out, Schlesinger was like the musical director for and co-wrote tons of the songs on. And I had no idea again about this until he passed away. But, man, I, people, that show, I, I think it got a little bit disappointing in its later seasons. But the early seasons of that show, this is a, a show that you know has musical numbers that are like all interspersed throughout it. Those songs, when you realize that he's a guy behind writing some of them, it makes so much sense because they're witty and funny and also immaculately hummable and singable. And he was involved. Well, let, let's take that Monkeys album that Ken mentioned. So this, if you go back to the Political Beats archives, find the Monkeys show. We spent a lot of time on Good Times, this Monkeys album that featured uh, three of the four. Well, actually, featured all four Monkeys. But Davy Jones's part was was after his death. They, you know, they had some recorded vocals that they used. But Adam Schlesinger was key. He produced the album. He helped recruit writers. This tremendous stable of writers to to, to write material for this Monkees album, and then he wrote a great song called Our Own World on the album, but also co-wrote one with Mickey Dolenz that I think closes the album Good Times. And again, Good Times is a really good album, and far better than it has any right to be, given the fact that it's nearly 50 years after the Monkees' heyday. Uh, it's it's great, and you can give a ton, a ton of that credit to, uh, to Adam Schlesinger. Uh, he was also involved in a power pop supergroup called Tinted Windows, which featured Adam and uh, James Ehoff from Smashing Pumpkins and uh, uh, one of the Hanson brothers, not from Slapshot, but from the band Hanson, and also Bun E. Carlos, the drummer from Cheap Trick. And what I'd say about Tinted Windows is it was a little disappointing when you consider all the talent that was in that band. Um, there are a few good songs uh, from that one album they, they did. It was back in 2009. Uh, kind of a Girl, I think, was the single that, that was, was, was pushed. Uh, Can't Get a Read on You was pretty good, but that that band was not quite as good. It, it was it was less than the sum of its parts. Um, a lot of like thudding, plotting, chord-driven pop, power pop tracks that don't work extremely well. It was fine. It was okay. I was hoping it would be more than it was. This is the only one of the, the Schlesinger side projects that I actually bothered to listen to before the show, so I don't really have anything to say about Ivy. Um, but I, I do completely agree with what you said, Scott. I was I looked at the lineup, and I was really hoping this would be a lot better than it turned out to be. But I guess it's kind of maybe a too-many-cooks phenomenon. <laughs> well, what's interesting is so Schlesinger apparently wrote all of the songs, uh, and I don't know you know how involved the rest of the band was. I guess uh, Taylor Hansen uh, co-wrote uh, the last song of the album with uh, with Adam Schlesinger. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, kind of a girl messing with my head. Uh, can't get a read on you. Those are great, great power pop songs. But you would think with that lineup and with Adam Schlesinger's writing ability that you know there are eleven songs on the album. Like why couldn't we get eleven? killer songs like we got in welcome interstate <laughs> managers or or, or even uh, utopia parkway and instead we got about i don't know four to me really great songs that i can still listen to and then the rest is just sort of filler there's nothing awful on the album but there's a lot of stuff that's just not memorable 
And then Cam, Cam, are you are you an Ivy fan? I, if I were to talk about anything he did with Ivy, I would I would piss off Ivy fans because I only heard I've heard Apartment Life, which is very very good that album, but I, I have not listened to them enough to have thoughts on what's really great and and, and what's what's not. Yeah, I, you know, I wish that I could say that I was, um, and and I, I wasn't. I like you. I think I owned Apartment Life. I think that was the uh, the one album that I uh, that I owned. Um, they had a uh, they had a song that was a, a theme to a, a TV show, I think, uh, at one point. But um, no, that was the that was the, the the side project of Adam Schlesinger's that I had a really hard time getting into. My wife, on the other hand, loves. Ivy, because she loves massive attacks. She loves that kind of, you know, uh, a dreamy trip hop, and and that that was really more of what Ivy was. It was much more experimental. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I liked the tight hooks and the the power chords, and so this was the one that I really struggled to to get into. The interesting thing about Ivy, by the way, is that it wasn't like something he only started up after Fountains of Wayne right. like, ceased being a touring act. He was in there before Fountains of Wayne mm-hmm. even came together, so it was just simultaneously alongside you know the one career uh, he was doing this sort of experimental thing. You know, I guess probably to satisfy his desire to not always have to write these perfectly crafted melodies or anything <laughs> like that. But yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't have anything intelligent to say about it because I haven't really gotten around to listening to it yet. Very rare that I have to confess outright ignorance on political beats, but it does happen, <laughs> folks. And the other one thing I'll mention is his work on a different movie. <laughs> called Music and Lyrics with Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore? Yeah. And that's another one where the, the songs have to be, they have to be great because the story is about the, the, the pop star who fell on hard times and then, you know, writes another batch of great songs. And um, he wrote, I think, four or five songs uh, of those on the album, including one called uh, Way Back Into Love, kind of a power ballad that's really good. It really fits the movie well. I don't know, I wouldn't say it's a great film, but the music for it is pretty good. Music and Lyrics is one of those films that I saw because I think I was at some point in my relationship with Noel sort of contractually obligated to see all Hugh Grant movies. Ah, uh, yes. And, you know, and I've I liked there. it. And I, and I remember I thought the music was passably good, but it didn't make a huge impression on me. And I haven't since gone back to review it. Uh, thankfully, my wife did not make me watch Hugh Grant movies. So I, I'm now kind of curious about this one, but I, I actually haven't uh, seen the film before. Uh, anything, any, any other side projects that I'm not thinking? I think we covered the ones we want to get to, right, guys? He's done so many yeah. things, but yeah. yeah. I was gonna say he co-wrote uh, the musical ad- adaptation for Crybaby, the uh, the John Waters film. <laughs> That's a random credit. I had no oh, idea, I know, right? I, I had no idea either. But uh, he also apparently collaborated with uh, Sarah Silverman on a musical called The Bedwetter, uh, based on her book, uh, opening night, scheduled for June 20th of this year. But um, maybe delayed. So that's actually that might be the last thing. Last project, yeah. From Adam Schlesinger, yeah. Yep, and he won a, I think he won a Grammy what, for his work with the Stephen Colbert project. And so yes, you can keep digging and find more and more things that uh, Adam Schlesinger was uh, was involved with. Uh, in he certainly, he was nominated for two Emmys for his work on My Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I don't remember if he won them or not. But the songs are. I gotta say, like you know, you're a guy and you're listening to this show. You're thinking like the last thing on the planet I want to do is go watch a TV show that is also a musical that is <laughs> called My Crazy Ex Girlfriend. But guys, it's actually really really funny, especially those first two seasons. I'd check it out if I were you. And there we go. It's the Political Beats look at Adam Schlesinger and Fountains of Wayne with our guest Cam Edwards from Bearing Arms. And we come to the part of the episode where we all give you our 
choices for two albums that you must own from our artist and five songs that you really need to hear. And we start with our guest. You can find him on Twitter at Cam Edwards. Cam, your two uh, albums and five songs. All right, my two albums, uh, Utopia Parkway and Welcome Interstate Managers. I think that, you know, you really there's there's... I know you guys say the uh, the last uh, few songs on Welcome Interstate Managers are kind of forgettable, but I, I think, you know, those are just two albums back to back that are as solid as you can possibly find from a uh, a musical act in that time period. Uh, my top five would be, uh, and I picked one from every album. I, I could have picked three just from Traffic and Weather, but I went with one from every album. So from their debut album, Sink to the Bottom, uh, from Utopia Parkway, Troubled Times, from Welcome Interstate Managers, Brand Future and Sales, from uh, Traffic and Weather, New Routine, and from Sky Full of Holes, Someone's Gonna Break Your Heart. So I went with a lot of singles there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was always more of a fan of the rock, driving, pounding, power pop uh, side of Fountains of Wayne as opposed to the the more acoustic, softer side, Jeff, that I think uh, you've been drawn to. So So they're my top five. And uh, for me, my two albums, uh, Welcome Interstate Managers, absolutely is my first album. Again, if not for the uh, oh, the excess of the CD era and the 16 tracks, if you could just take a couple off, it would be just essentially a perfect album. It's still very, very close. Uh, and then the uh, the second album, I think it's the I think it's the debut. I think it's uh, I think it's Fountains of Wayne. Uh, the five songs from that debut album, Barbara H., a song that Chris Collingwood wrote about his wife. Uh, Red Dragon Tattoo from Utopia Parkway. <laughs> it's just, you need to hear that song. Uh, from uh, from Welcome Interstate Managers, uh, the back-to-back Hackensack and No Better Place. It just doesn't get better than that in, the, in their career. And then from Traffic and Weather, I think I-95 is a really special track. And uh, one of the uh, slower, more more acoustic ones, too. That's my five. Jeff, to you. Uh, I wrote down seven songs. I hate that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out how to quickly edit two of them out. All right. But as for my albums, I'm going to go with the debut as well as Scott does. Uh, Fountains of Wayne, it's just such a striking like you know, departure from, well, not only what was common in 1996, but even today. It, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air to just hear all these unashamedly, unabashedly melodic songs. And, and actually, and they're not monochromatic in style. It's not just all power pop being shoved down your throat. It's just lots of different kinds of music that are written so well and so wittily and such pleasure to listen to songs like that. And I guess for my second one, I, I would argue, actually, is again, the guy who got into Fountains of Wayne a week ago, I would actually argue all four of those first albums are, are, are essential. Only their last one isn't. But if I had to pick one more, I'm, I'm going to say it's going to be Welcome Interstate Managers too. Even though it's the only one of those first four albums that's, I think, legitimately flawed in that it is, as Scott says, overstuffed. Uh, but you could just stop at track 12 and you'll be fine. That's, you know, <laughs> that's all you need to do. Just pretend that it's on the EP that got tacked on as bonus tracks and you're doing fine. Um, as for my five songs, uh, I guess I'll take one from Fountains of Wayne. And that, if I'm going to have to pick one on an album that's just just smashed full of great melodies, I'll go with Leave the Biker. I just think it's such a funny song. I think it's just a great character sketch, you know, not only of this this sort of, uh, you know, crude, you know, uh, like biker who like what is he's got his arm around every guy's dream. And like, how does he get the girl? Why am I sitting all alone? Leave the biker, break his heart. Such a great melody that goes with it as well. For my second one, I'll take Prom Theme from Utopia Highway. It's actually one of my favorite Fountains of Wayne songs. It's probably the only time they ever like did a straight-up, almost ELO-style ballad. 
like just went for that unashamedly and I think pulled it off in a really beautiful way. For my third song, I'm going to take a track from uh, Welcome Interstate Managers, and that's got to be Bright Future in Sales. You know, Cam mentioned it as well. It's just such a funny song. It's such a funny sketch about a guy who doesn't necessarily have to be a loser um, but keeps on sabotaging his life. Hackensack would be another one I'd take from that album. Uh, we talked about why this is such a moving song. It's kind of a sad song um, about a guy who's you know you know been holding out for a dream that will never come true. And then my final song I'll take is from uh, Traffic and Weather, and it's Michael and Heather at the Baggage Claim. Is it meant straight? Is it meant as a metaphor? Uh, you can read it either way. It doesn't matter. I just think it's an incredibly beautiful song and, you know, emblematic of a band that, uh, you know, for all of their reputation as these, these, these giant like power pop monsters or as being one hit wonders, if you want to call it that, uh, they were actually pretty versatile and they could work in a lot of modes. And what they always prized above all else is writing a smart, beautiful and well-crafted song. Michael and Heather at the baggage claim, tired of playing Got a different name Michael and Heather May never get home again Michael and Heather At the lost and found Looking for luggage that's soft and brown Sir, I'm so sorry, it's just not around Michael and Heather are glad to be on the ground Stacy's mom. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. Well, and, and look, Stacy's mom, as we said, it's a great song, but their catalog is so much more than Stacy's mom. And I'm, I'm, I'm as shocked as anyone to discover it. There we are. The Fountains of Wayne episode of Political Beats. We uh, thank Cam Edwards for joining us, editor of Bearing Arms, the host of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, and the 40 Acres at a Fool podcast. Find him on Twitter at Cam Edwards. Cam, thanks for joining us on this uh, emergency episode of oh, Absolutely. Beats. Well, thanks so much for uh, for letting me be part of it. Uh, you know, I'm really sad that we're never going to get a chance to see these guys, you know, mend fences and uh, and reunite. I think the uh, I think they still had some good music left in them, but at least we have let's say four and a half uh, really <laughs> incredible albums to listen to. Maybe maybe five and a half if you include uh, the right. uh, out of state plates. Yeah. I would actually. So yeah. And by the way, it was our pleasure to have you on camp. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you, guys. Jeff Blair. Find him on Twitter at EsotericCD. Jeff, uh, three shows in three weeks. I need a couple of weeks off, okay? Yeah. All right. We're gonna we're gonna take a breather. Hopefully nobody nobody go dying on us. Okay. I mean, gosh, John Prine already did, so nobody else go dying on us. Yeah. Uh, again, find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. My name is Scott Bertram at Scott Bertram on Twitter. Please subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or go right to NationalReview.com and click on podcast. Listen, enjoy, share them with friends or uh, or enemies, and leave reviews. You can find us on Facebook, look for Political Beats, on Twitter, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.